Welcome to episode 314 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, February 28th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Well, I hope I sound as good as you because your new sound on your new mic sounds pretty amazeballs. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with I, it. I'm, I'm using a, a Plantronics headset with a little fuzzy cover Man, over the top great, of it. Though. I mean, okay. listen, my, that's what I used to have. And obviously until it started going, because we got some emails saying that the quality was kind of going in and out, there were really no problems until I think late summer um, that I'd heard some issues about it. And then I didn't hear anything for a while. And then we got another couple rush of them, like two or three comments on Twitter and email saying, ah, Spore keeps cutting in and out. I couldn't listen to him in the gym. So, uh, you know, Eno said, listen, we got to get this done. We got to get you a new mic. So got the new mic. Got a really cool, professional-looking arm to kind of have it on my desk. It looks great. I hope it sounds good. I'm really psyched about it, I'll tell you that. You should be. It sounds pretty darn good to me. I had the last one I had years ago was like it was a C-1U condenser mic, and I had a stand. It was a USB thing. But that's the one I started, I was using when you guys said I sounded like ass. Uh, and so I ended up stop. I stopped using that. But it was supposed to be some studio. In fact, I got it from a radio station. They gave it to me to do some uh, home recording, and I ended up switching to this Plantronics. I wonder. That's when people if, said I started sounding good. I wonder if there is any sort of like configuration issue that maybe if you switched one thing, it would it would change it. Because I mean, there's so many settings on this one. I've got it set up. It's a, it's a it's a Yeti, and they've got this great packaging on the box that kind of shows you everything that it does. Like if you're doing podcasts, set it here. And so hopefully it sounds great, but uh, we're going to get started. Jason, we got plenty to talk about. we got a couple bits of news, some big signings. Actually, one's kind of a, a, a re-signing, not in the way we normally see a re-signing occur, but it, but it definitely was. And then a, a big guy off the, uh, off the market now. And then it's pretty much an all-email episode. We're going to dive in on four or five emails tonight. And, and get some questions answered, but we got to start with the transactions and talk about this Dexter Fowler craziness. I mean, the last episode of this podcast is called Fowler to the Orioles because we thought it was a done deal. Like we knew that, <laughs> you know, the normal situation of going through the uh, physical had to happen. But even with the O's being tough on that, we're like, ah, you know, Dexter Fowler is pretty darn healthy. Let's talk about it and, and you know, proceed as a go. Well, then all of a sudden we hear, nope not happening he's going back to the cubs they had the great videos floating around of him joining the cubs at practice i love stuff like that um and it turns out it wasn't the physical the the usual issue with baltimore but the 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 thing of the year you know the opt-out was the problem he wanted to be able to get out after one of the three-year deal from what i gathered but they said no thanks so he just went to chicago for a one-year deal he'll get back out in the market next year what'd you think about that with extra following you know, and, and we usually joke around about saying, you know, if you're on Twitter and you see people say, oh, the, the Orioles officially announced. And we're always like, yeah, big deal officially. And it's always four or five days later. But especially with Baltimore, <laughs> you really need to wait for the official. And yeah, I, I joke because you guys did this. And then Joe Sheehan in his newsletter talked about his rule of thumb that he used to wait for the official announcement to uh, to make to do any kind of analysis on somebody. But he broke his rule with Fowler and he is like apologizing like I shouldn't have broken my rule with that kind of thing. But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm stunned. From a fantasy perspective, uh, even from a real baseball perspective, this is perfect for I me. Mean, I for Fowler, this is where he should be. You know, I advocated for him to go to Kansas City. I thought he'd be an awesome fit there. But once they went back to Alex Gordon, I'm like okay, then that door shut. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to put a place for him. He never thought about him coming, leaving Chicago, but this is the perfect situation for him because he goes back to leadoff where he scored 102 runs last year. He's got you know, Zobrist behind him for a full season. He's going to have Addison Russell in front of him, if you believe roster resource right now. Uh, if Madden goes back to hitting pitcher eighth, you know, the lineup stacked. And so he should pick up right where he left off last year. He's always been able to get on base. There is another on base. There are, you know, uh, two, three more on-base percentage guys behind him, that, that line's just going to keep moving. It really is. And it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I, I made the comment to somebody the other day, it's, it's to this point where you have that Cubs lineup, as long as it's like not, you know, not Kershaw, it's almost like a must-sit. You've got to have your ace going against Chicago because there's not a lot of good that can come against facing that lineup. That, that's exactly it. You, you don't want to mess with that lineup. This is a 
definite stay away lineup. You know, if they're going into a big hitters uh, hitters park somewhere, their own park can play as a big hitters park. So there's going to be a lot of avoiding the Cubs. This lineup is so ridiculous. They definitely didn't necessarily need Fowler, but the fact that they added him, it makes a lot of sense. It takes a lot of pressure off some of these young guys that definitely haven't proven it for a full year. You know, we talk about some of these guys like they're 100% finished products like a Kyle Schwarber or a Jorge Soler, excuse me. But I think the team understands that you know, these guys, they're, they're still a lot of promise, but they're not guarantees, and we haven't seen them do it for a full year. So I don't think that just relying on them was necessarily the sound move. And, you know, it, it things happen, too, with injuries. You know, we, we judge so much on the opening day roster, and things change so much. So, yeah, Jorge Soler looks like he's going to be the fourth outfielder right now, but— so, so many different things could happen underperformance injury uh his own kind of surge that forces him to get playing time everyone just relax draft skills not roles ron Chandler taught us that years ago obviously you can push the cost down of some of these guys um but i i would still be targeting them i still have no problem targeting quite a great deal of these cubs in particular somebody that you mentioned addison russell who i'm super high on i think you're super high on and we've got him now in labor mixed Yes. I mean, a couple of notes that come to mind here with, with the Cubs. When you look at the steamer projections for this team, no starter is projected to have an OBP below 333. That, <laughs> and that's Montero. I mean, you look at the top of this lineup with Fowler at 350, Zobrist at 356, then you put Rizzo at 374, you put Brian at 360, and Hayward at 362. That's your top five. It's going, it's going to be ridiculous, and I bring up Hayward because he was supposed to hit high in this lineup. Now he's going to hit fifth, and that's not a bad thing at all. He's going to score a fewer runs now because he's not going to get as many plate appearances, but he's in a really good RBI spot exactly. because he's going to have Rizzo and Bryant in front of him. He's going to have Schwarber behind him or Montero. You know, I don't know how they're all going to figure out the playing time behind him, but he's going to have protection in front of him and behind him. The RBI opportunities should be there aplenty. Yes, he's had his issues against lefties, but you're not facing that many anyhow. As long as he maximizes his plate appearances against righties, as he's done throughout his entire career, could be a monster year for Jason Hayward. I think this actually makes him more valuable than he was before Fowler coming back. That's really interesting. I think I think you can make that case, particularly because of what kind of getting into the heart of the order there could, could mean uh, from an RBI standpoint for Hayward. This lineup, again, it's just so filthy to look at. There's not a single guy that I, I don't entertain at a pretty high price, even, even a, somebody like Schwarber, who I don't like paying the exorbitant price. There's still, you know, he's going what? third, third, fourth round right now, uh, sometimes even like as high as the second round. If he was going in the sixth, seventh round, I'd, I'd be loving Schwarber. And that's still a pretty high price. There's, there's not really any cheap guys on this team except for maybe Montero. Zobrist isn't necessarily uh, super expensive, but Montero might be kind of your bargain, particularly at catcher where it's thin. Uh, do you do you like drafting guys to kind of get that rising tide lifts, lifts all boats effect? And, and, and do you think Montero qualifies for something like that? I think he does. I mean, we look at his, if you look at his receiver projections, they have him hit nine homers, driving in uh, 38, scoring, you know, scoring and driving in fewer than 40 runs a piece, hitting 244. I'm willing to give that a little more again because hitting becomes easier when guys are on base in front of you, and that's not going to be a problem for him. I, I think we can get it, bump that batting average up uh, five to 10 points. Maybe the home runs, maybe he gets a, a, a Deion Navarro type season where he gets a home run to fly ball. Uh, fluky thing that comes back but as bad as catcher is in baseball this year you know Miguel Montero is a guy that may come as a little bit of a bargain and and like you said just look at all the stuff that's going to surround him and uh, it's just going to be fun to have fun to watch that team as long as you're a, a Cubs fan yeah. B own a couple of those assets and see they're not playing your they're favorite not team. playing your favorite club I knew that was going to be the last one okay let's jump back over to the American League then and talk about uh, a real big chip coming off the board uh, along with Fowler and that's Ian Desmond you know, there's a lot of speculation on where he where he would go. I think you and I talked about a long time ago, maybe a team entertaining him as outfield, um, at least as like a shortstop outfield hybrid. I know we talked about that before uh, Jimmy Rollins went to the White Sox as a potential option. You know, Cleveland, we've been talking about their outfield all year, even through that out as like a cursory list. And he, obviously God, you guys so got bad. Lindor. Why don't you get Desmond to just be straight outfield? Well, 
Texas, listen, Texas listens to the podcast. Thanks, thanks, John Daniels, for listening. He went out and got Ian Desmond inked up as their left fielder now. And obviously he can still play short. So if anything were to happen to Elvis Andrews, they're in a good position. I, I think it's great that you can get a guy that you're going to put full-time somewhere else and his backup position is shortstop. And I know Desmond has had error issues in the past, but I don't think that his reputation is that he's a bad shortstop. I think he's at least an average defensive shortstop. Oh, he's above, he's above average. If not, a, a, yeah, if not above average. So I think people get hung up on the errors and think that he's bad. I don't think Desmond is. So, um, None of that affects us this year. He's going to have the shortstop eligibility, but even kind of adding the outfield eligibility, if you wanted to still get a Correa or a Lindor early, that totally works out because I, I don't have a problem. I think he can carry outfield. What do you see from Ian Desmond in Texas? All right, so a couple of things. If we look over the body, you know, coming into 2015, back-to-back-to-back 2020 seasons, and it was great. You know, last year fell one home run short of the of the 20 homers and, and fell the seven stolen bases short, despite getting all the same playing time. Uh, and But if you look at the body of work over the last couple of years, he's had a weighted on base average of 311. If you look at that from the shortstop position, that makes him the eighth best shortstop in, in baseball by weighted on base average. If you put that in the outfield, he falls to 38. Oh, wow. Now, so that's that's context. So from a fantasy perspective, let's make sure Ian Desmond gets us 20 games at shortstop. Uh, you know, maybe we've heard we've heard Elvis Andrews' name being mentioned in trade rumors multiple times. Yeah, Not for, recently. for a while now. Yeah, for a while now. This opens up a window to do that, even though it's only a one year deal. This opens up a window to do that because Ian Desmond, if you're moving him to the outfield, he has to hit enough to do that. Now, can he do it? And he's got to hit more than he did a shortstop. Obviously, when I just brought up those numbers, because he doesn't walk that much. The other concerning thing about him is the strikeout trend. His strikeout rate has worsened each of the past four seasons, and 21, 22, 28, and 29%. I was going to say, and really sharply jumped from 13 to that 14, 15 level where the, uh, yeah. it's just it's approaching 30%. You can't have that. That That is a no. huge drain. And the batting average is, is and that's what's paid. That's what's uh, paid the price: two ninety two, two eighty, two fifty five, two thirty three. So it would it seems simple enough. Like, dude, stop. Make more contact. Just make more contact. Because he's not getting more power from it either. Usually, if you're going to have those extra strikeouts, yep. let's get some more power. We're not seeing that from Desmond. So yeah, I think that's a fair fair concern. You know, it should be noted he was better in the second half. Kind of got back on track a little sure. bit. Uh, but a lot of that was propped up on, on a big month, August. But, but by the same token, if you're kind of doing that, you got, you got to say that a lot of the bad first half was was pulled down by an impossibly bad June. So, I mean, if you're kind of looking at the high and low month and taking both of them out, the June and the August, then he's not too far from, from what he had been doing. Uh, but I think it would still have been a decline from 2014. And again, that goes back to the strikeout rate because you don't just have a bad month or two to get a 30% strikeout rate. And he was up at 29%. We need to see more contact from Desmond. I do think he can hold the position of outfield, but he's going to be shortstop eligible this year. So you don't have to worry. And now when you go into your drafts, you don't have to kind of speculate on where he might go. Granted, right. a lot of folks were taking him maybe a touch or two earlier than Not normal. To Colorado, yeah, they were really hoping for that. That would have been unbelievable. And, and that brings up a point here. Let's not forget, Texas is not the offensive launching pad nope. that it used to be. It's neutral. There's structural so changes that, that yeah. a jet stream. Yep. If you're looking for, hey, that's going to happen, no. And then one of the other things, when you try to figure out you know, why the strikeouts, why the swing and miss, it's not because he's chasing more pitches. You look at his swing rate, his out-of-zone swing rate is right in line with where it's been the last few years. The out-of-zone contact is different. I mean, the, 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 the pitches he's chasing out of the zone, maybe he was getting, he's chasing bigger pitches out of the zone. That's one of the things, uh, just looking at the swing percentages, that's one of the things you can't really tell. You have to look at the actual uh, pitch plots to see where that, what types of pitches he's chasing. But one of the things that kind of jumps out with, what concerns me is, you know, last year he had 233, and that's despite 24 infield hits. Ooh, yeah, that's uh, a career high 24 infield hits and nine of those being bunts. But that's a lot of infield. His infield hit rate has been right in the mid teens. And last year, 24 infield hits, and he still only hit 233. When we're looking at guys that have the fluky batting average and balls in play, like where the hell did this guy hit 290 when he typically hits 2? 50 and that's one of the areas we look at where are they getting the free base hits exactly 24 infield base hits and his batting average and balls in play was a career low 
Wow. So the every that when you I when honestly you, don't know what to expect from him. When you look I at the really rest don't. of the scope, it's so bad. How much and we could never quantify it, so it is pure speculation here, but how much do you think that the, the whole kind of contract thing is getting to him? Because we know that he turned down uh, a deal. I don't know if the, the particulars are out on it. I think it was maybe like a five or seven year deal for like 105 million, something around there, like a, yeah, like a good was, deal. Yeah, I want to say it was pretty substantial. So I believe that was in November before the 2015 season. So, so November 14, I think they offered him that. He said, no, better myself. Obviously goes out. Has the bad Portland, year. 7107. 7107. Okay, so he turns that down, bets on myself. I've got three 2020 God. seasons. I'll go beast out again and I'll, I'll get an even bigger bite. Obviously, that did not work out. Okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of this qualifying offer. Maybe I'll just get a three or four year deal. And boom, now we're here at a one year deal. Now he's got to make good at age 30 to try to get another deal. And he'll be a year removed from playing shortstop, which obviously added to his value. This uh, this is kind of a bummer. How much of that do you think would be impacting him, though? I know it's tough to say, but would you speculate? Are you assessing any of that into or adding any of that into the risk that you're you're baking with him that maybe Ian Desmond's still kind of like freaking out about this whole thing and maybe letting it affect his play? Or now that he's signed, locked and loaded for a year, you, you erase that? When I look at him, it reminds me of as Drupal Cabrera last year. He took the same one eight deal with the with the Rays. He thought he was going to get a multi year deal. That multi year deal never came through. And a lot of people were like, uh, "Who knows what's left of him?" He ended up having a really good year and mm-hmm. turned it into a two year deal. So it, it's what ha- what's gone is gone. That seven year deal is never coming back unless he goes out and has an MVP type season. Yeah, he would That's have not to be. Like, he would have to be unfreaking believable. So good, unbelievable. And here's the other thing: is next year's shortstop market is pretty deep. I remember some, I remember reading something. Uh, I want to look it up real quick, but somebody well, said something about the shortstop class next year being pretty deep. While you're looking it up, I'll also point out that we're still, we still have a budding shortstop uh, renaissance here too yes, with <laughs> young, young guys that we haven't even seen. Orlando Arcia, some of you probably don't even have him on your radar yet for Milwaukee. So they're going to be teams, JP Crawford. That's just two more teams off the market that might, you know, that have kind of their shortstop of the future, hopefully. So uh, I'm sure there's others, by the way, because again, it's just a renaissance in the minor leagues of shortstops coming up. So if you're also adding that to a deeper free agent pool, he's going to be fighting for scraps again. And Ian Desmond could again find himself on the short end. Again, before you deliver that info, if you found it, I I have a question for you. Is he susceptible to another qualifying offer? Can Texas give Desmond a qualifying offer now? don't believe they can. Okay. I don't think you can get back. To, I don't think you can get back to back offers. That's what I thought. I, 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 I still don't remember the full rules. Um, the shortstop, actually, the shortstop market looks bad. Okay. I don't know why somebody made a comment about the shortstop market being strong, but that does not look like the case You're when like, I look at the okay. list uh, of names. Uh, Yunel Escobar, Alcides Escobar, no relation. <laughs> uh, Eric Ibar, um, Stephen Drew, Alexi Ramirez. I thought Alexi got a more than a one-year deal from the Padres. I, I think he was like one in nine. All right, so there you go. That's your class. So it, it, that's one that's what he's got to do. Even with a team option, though. So that's that's what he's got to do to try to get a better deal um, next year with that. So yeah, again, I, I'm not. I think the reasons for skepticism about this as much. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be worried about here. That's not. You just don't turn that around. If so, if he says, "Okay, I'm going to make more contact and I'm going to get back down to the low 20s," we could live with we could live with Ian Desmond when he was striking out 20 to 22 oh, yeah. percent of the time. Absolutely. Even I mean, 2014, he struck out 28 percent of the time and still pulled the, a decent, uh, not a, a league average 255 because the league hit 252 that year. And then he had the 2020 and he had 91 runs driven in, but he only scored 73 times because he wasn't on base enough. Exactly. You know, we just need if he can get back to the 2012 2013 version pristine but can that that's you know that's a big reduction 30 percent to 22 percent in strikeout rate we don't see a lot of guys move back that direction and hit with power well we'll see what a new environment can do that can sometimes bring about changes obviously a lot of times it is overrated that it's going to be some magic fix so i'm not suggesting that but uh, i do believe in ian desmond as a player you know i think he's a, a good player um, I'm okay kind of paying his market price right now. If I don't get any of those first five shortstops, he's going sixth behind Correa, Tulo, Seager, Bogarts, and Lindor. I have no problem kind of investing in him there because I don't want Reyes. Uh, obviously, he's going to move down. Andrews, 
um, Segura, Marte, Peralta. I don't really want those guys. So I'm either jumping on that last train with a Desmond or a Crawford, or I'm kind of waiting uh, if I didn't get on the, the super studs. Let's move on to the emails because we've got a handful of, of very interesting ones. So we'll start with one from Dave on post-breakout players. It says, love the pod and all the great info the site keeps putting out. Thanks for doing good work. No problem, Dave. No problem. There are three players who put it together last season who I'd like to hear your opinion on. It's always fun to have an emerging star on your team from opening day, so I'm targeting these three players in my 13-team 5x5 daily Roto League. Rugnet Odor, Miguel Sano, Danny Salazar. I don't see any of these guys as being guarantees to perform, uh, especially at, at their current ADPs. He has them, go, oh, excuse me, especially as, as their current ADPs have them going in drafts like they should be different difference makers for deeper leagues. Salazar gives up a lot of homers. Sano has a 30% strikeout rate, and Odor rarely walked and only had one steal in the second half last year. Which of these three have the highest upside against their ADP, which carries the biggest risk? I feel like it wouldn't be wise to draft all three in the first five to six rounds where I firmly believe you need to get them uh, because everyone likes the shiny new toy. So how would we rank them? Uh, well, so what do you think, Jason? Odor, Sano, Salazar. Uh, let's work backwards. Salazar, you know, I was one of his biggest fans going into last year. Mm-hmm. Took him in, in multiple places, said the upside was there. And I, I'm still, I still firmly believe that. Yes, he allowed 23 home runs, but he doesn't put a lot of guys on base. I mean, he had a 1.13 whip last year. So if the if the home runs are coming of solo shots, I mean, he hit three, 345 ERA, 362 FIP. You know, that is what he is, and he, he won 14 games. So contributions all across the board. You watch him pitch, you could see the potential there. He's going to give up some home runs because not all of those split changes are going to end up finding the bottom part of the zone. You're going to hang him as much as he throws them. You're going to hang one every now and then. Mm-hmm. But he is a completely different type of pitcher. There was a great article the other day. Um, I want to say Anthony Castrovince yeah. or Jordan Bastion. One of the two wrote the, I retweeted it out, but one of the two wrote the article about Salazar talking about the split change. It's a unique way he throws the pitch and how he's using it. Because a couple of years ago, you know, if you think back to Salazar in his rookie year, if he fell behind, it was fastball. Oh, you absolutely. knew it was coming. And, that's and I think happened. the one at bat, the one at bat that summed it up perfectly was that wild card play in game against the Rays. He's facing Delman Young. Now Delman Young versus righties is never really a good thing, but they put him in the lineup because Delman Young loves to feast on fastballs. Salazar falls behind, throws him a fastball, and Delman Young crushed it, killed it. Uh, it it kind of called him Big Shot Delman if you think back to the 90s when Big Shot Bob Orr used to hit those bombs yep. out of nowhere and like daggers. That's what Delman Young did in that game. You saw the crowd was pumped, the crowd was pumped, and here goes 98 in and 198 going out. He just bombed it. Uh, but he's not – Salazar's a different pitcher now. He's using three pitches, using with different points in the count. And, you know, I'm still very big on him, just so, as we are pretty much every Cleveland start, yeah, starting we, pitcher we this year. Really it's love really that stupid. rotation. I would love to see a Cleveland Chicago miniseries with with their three best against the against the Cubs to see what's happening there. That would be awesome. I mean, Salazar right now is the 24th pitcher off the board. That said, his ADP is 79 because so many pitchers are going high this year. I think uh, did I hear this right in the interview that you did with uh, Ambrosius that 18 of the top 50 are pitchers? Yes. Okay. Because I quoted that line like two or three times. I want to make sure it was the right one. Isn't, isn't I, that crazy? The numbers were right. That is crazy. I, mean, I think in last year it was 11, right? The previous season it was 11. Yeah, I think that, that was the number. It, it was a big jump that Greg outlined. Uh, he was great, by the way. Um, he was. Yeah, it was. Heard that one on the airplane. Huge jump uh, from, from last year to this year. As t- t- people teams, people are trusting uh, pitchers a lot more this year. And that's why you kind of got to get in early if you want one of those aces or else they're just going to be dried up and then every team's going to have a couple and you're not going to have any. So I, I don't think it's prudent to wait. Salazar's an SP2 for me. That's, that's where I think his upside is. Um, Sano, I, you and I may differ a little bit on this because yeah. I know you're concerned about the strikeouts. I'm not. I, because I'm further out something... on him than, than most right now. Yeah, I, I am uh, f- probably right. I'm willing to pay what the market's paying for him. I want to look up to see what is you know where guys are going with him, but the power is unbelievable, and that's what I like about him. So he is. Where's he? They don't. Have, they must have him as an. Oh outfielder. yeah, put, look uh, look for him. Um, he might even nope, be not an outfield. H. No, check him under. Did you check him under third so, base? So all. Yeah, he's under third so base. All. 
All right. So he's the 61st pick in um, uh, NFBC leagues. There he is. The so that makes him. Basement. Wow, it makes him a fourth round pick. Um, that's my. That's my issue. Actually, at the, the top of the fifth. That's the top of the fifth. So at the price, I can. You know, at the price, that's tough. Um, but I think the power is absolutely real. I think this is a guy that could hit. You know, this is a 30 home run season. It's just I don't know what the batting average is going to be. How, how much are those 30 runs? How much are those 30 home runs going to cost you? Uh, and that's where you know, I think fan expectations. We we laugh. We often laugh at this. The difference between Steamer and fans. Steamer has them driving in 107. I'm sorry. Fans have driving in 107, and the uh, Steamer has them driving in 89. Steamer has them scoring 77, and and uh, fans have them scoring 94 runs. That's <laughs> awfully optimistic for a guy with 35, 40 speed. I'll tell you what, uh, though. Steamer, th- that that's th- that projection. Does does make me uh, maybe have to reassess because obviously a lot of projection systems, but Steamer in particular, you know, they're, they're conservative and and with good reason because the way they work on the numbers and this is a guy who has 80 games in the majors and they're giving him a 256, 345, 505 triple slash with 31 bombs, 89 ribbies, and even four stolen bases with the 77 runs. That's only in 131 games for Sano. Dang, I mean that's that's pretty good. I like I get the power. I just we're talking about a 36% strikeout rate last year. I'm sure he can cut into that. Like he has an idea of what he's doing up there. He gets in yes. deep counts. Like there is swing and miss, but it's it is a bit of a controlled strikeout rate. Like I get it, but it, it's the the point is when there's that little contact, you just have to do so much damage on the contact that you do get. Like he did last year when he had a 396 batting average on balls in play and a 27% homer to fly ball ratio for Sano. That I just I don't want to put that much weight on those two figures, and I just can't take them as a top sixty-five pick right now. That's the I mean I don't like the supporting cast around him. You've got Maurer in front of him, and we don't even know what Maurer is these days. I just no. know he's pretty damn undraftable. That's what I know about him. I mean Dozier hitting second. You've got Plouffe and Rosario hitting behind him. You could see Sano getting pitched around, and and maybe he maybe he doesn't get to the thirty because he doesn't see thirty good pitches to hit uh, <laughs> to get to his thirty homers. That that's my concern. I'm not ready to spend a top sixty draft pick, top sixty five draft pick on a guy that's got half a season, while a very impressive half a season, half a season. So let's move on to Odor then, because he's coming in at pick uh, one hundred two right now, about the eighth second baseman off the board. And I, I think I like him second best. I'm going to go Salazar, Odor, Sano. Where do you stand on Rugnet Odor? We've talked about him a few times. Yeah. This was honestly a tale of two seasons. I have not seen a hitter look as bad as Odor as Odor did before he got sent down last year. He looked horrendous. Had no absolutely no control of the strike zone whatsoever. Chasing things at his eyes, at his feet. Um, I saw him. He, the Texas had come to Tampa Bay to play a game, and I saw Odor uh, strike out in a 57 foot curveball and strike out at one that was at his eyes. Uh, another fastball that came up at his eyes. If he was just up there, just fighting it, and that was a, that was an issue. And then he came back, and then you know, right away, as soon as he got down to the minor leagues, like somebody said, "Hey, look, just stop doing this," and it's a click, boom. And then he started raking in the minors. They brought him back up, and he started raking again. It was night and day type of hitter. And so for him, we all liked him coming into the season last year, and then he burned a lot. I want to say he was going. Uh, like upper teens last year during draft day. I'm trying to think where he went in tout. Whereas I think Jeff bought him. I want to say he oh, bought him for $18 Yeah, for price. Yeah. Uh, Odor was, was expensive. There was a lot of hype. I mean, Eno was pumping him. Um, you know, I'm sure there were some other industry folks. I just don't remember who, but he had, he had some burn going. And so folks were excited about Rugnet Odor. And so he has actually ended up being a big disappointment. I bet he's one of those guys with the, with the comeback that he had, that comeback ended up not being on a lot of the teams that drafted him, which is the biggest bummer. Oh, yeah. And that's how you get people who quit players. <laughs> and it's irrational. I get it. But I also kind of get the side of I drafted this guy, went out on the limb for him. I waited, you know, because it, Odor, I mean, you gave him the time. We're always saying, hey, month and a half, two months, you know, at least try to do what you can. If you waited the whole month and a half till he got sent down, you took a 486 OBP and then he gets sent down. I understand in a lot of mixed leagues, you had to cut him. Well, then if you didn't get him when he came back, oh my God, do you hate Rugnet Odor? So I'm yeah, sure there's yeah. plenty of people who have quit him after that performance. 
And to the emailer's point, I mean, it's not like Odor has run much. I mean, he didn't run in 2014, didn't run last year. Yes, he had the, the one big season down in high A where he stole 27 bags. But let's understand, folks, the lower you are in the minor leagues, the more likely you are to steal bases. I mean, there was uh, Anthony Ghost stole 70 bases twice down there at that level. Delano DeShields has a 100. He's got the yeah, he's got the hundo. Down there, guys don't have moves. Catchers don't have the footwork. It's like it, there's like one or two guys in the entire league that have that, that have the arm. Like if you have Christian Betancourt in your league, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna run against that dude. Yep. But you Christian don't Bank, have yeah. a lot of those guys. You've got guys that are, you know, sometimes being converted to catcher, uh, trying to learn the position. So there's a lot of things going on down there. Guys that maybe you know, the, your top pitchers that never had to worry about holding runners on in high school because there weren't any runners to hold on. Exactly. You know, they had, getting on base. So a, a lot of these wit. things happen. <laughs> a lot of these things happen. So I'm not minor league stolen base totals, whatever, you know, if you show me a guy that steals 40 in the double a, then I'm impressed um, along point. those lines. So with him, that's not the case, but the problem is right now, Odor is costing you. Know, he's just outside of the top 100 at 102, but there is a lot of depth at second base a lot. So you don't have to reach for him. So when you talk about if the emailer said that you got to take him in the first six rounds, I disagree. I Odor is not a guy that I would take in the top six rounds uh, because there's, if you let him go and let somebody else get him. I mean, you look down a guy that you and I have both professed love for Jonathan scope is down there at two thirty six. Oh yeah. Neil Walker, two thirty four. Logan Forsyth, two thirteen. Ben Zobris, one ninety nine. There's so much. So I am not reaching for this guy. I liked what I saw last year and that was great. Great. Not enough to reach for him. There's too much depth at second base. I I, I rank him second among among these three. Uh, but but your point, I I actually completely agree with. So um, obviously that probably just tells you all how down I am on Sano. Then uh, if I'm still squeezing the door in because I I don't really want to pay that price either for the exact same reasons you're talking about. Even if I've you know got shortstop locked up, then I'm gonna jump right over to Addison Russell, and I can get him 40 picks later. So you know even somebody like that or like a Pedroia, Sterling Castro to add to names that you already mentioned. That second base, this is what position depth actually looks like in an infield position. I think that the the, the phrase gets thrown around so much about which position is and isn't deep, and I don't think it's it's rarely being judged um, appropriately when, when those comments are being made. The full scale of the position. A lot of times whenever people say it's deep or, or not, they're only talking about the upper tier. And it's, oh, you know. That, it, there's only one guy term. I mean, there's there's Brandon Phillips at 16. He's the first time I turn up my nose at a player. Yep. Yep. The, because I don't I believe mean, in speed. That, I can get down to like, all right, 22 Javier Baez because we've got playing time. We still have contact issues. And then we have 24 Jose Peraza. I'm like, okay, we're definitely drop dead there. <laughs> I don't want anybody out, out there. But two guys in the top 23 crazy. that make me turn my nose, that's insane depth at this position. So, yeah, if, if you're not getting an Altuve, Gordon, or Cano early, I think you really should just wait. Even, even as somebody who loves Anthony Rendon, just wait. It doesn't make sense to really get in there. Um, on the second base pool, except for those very early ones. And I'm completely fine going out on on the limb uh, early for Altuve Gordon. And then even Cano, you don't really have to go that early. He's at 51. And then it's another 20 pick drop down to Rendon. Yep. All right. Next email is from Jeff, an NFBC first timer. He says, love that you had Greg on. Talk about NFBC. I'm competing in my first NFBC main event contest on March 4th. Any advice for a first-time NFBC participant? The pod is and always has been effing awesome. Can't wait for the SP guide. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I haven't done the main event yet, so I included this because you have. I will be doing the, my first main event uh, leagues this year as well, in addition to the Beat Pulse Sport Leagues, which are part of the Rotowire um, Online Championship. And my draft for that is March 3rd. Very excited about that. But uh, I'm going to sign up for a main event league as well. So what do you... What do you what do you think? Let's 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 talk a little bit about just some overview strategy for Jeff. A couple of tips, maybe three three tips or so that he can take into this NFBC style because it is a different draft room for sure. We always talk about it when we're citing the ADP that it's a tougher, we think a a better crafted AD, uh, ADP for for many reasons. But the first of which, of course, is just that it's a better competition. So what what does Jeff need to know? So it's been a few years since I've done it. I mean, I did it back in the fanball days. So 2009, 10, maybe 11. So it's been a few years uh, that I've did that. I was in the live one. I've done 
I don't think I'm signed up for any this year, but I've done stuff in the past. I mean, for me, I, I find that, you know, they live by the ADP. You can look at the, we've referenced it every show that, you know, the hosted.stats.com site, go there and look at the ADP. So if you know what you're picking, start playing it out. So you, if you're thinking, oh, maybe Odor is going to slip to me he, right now, he's 102. Maybe he's going to slip to me at 112. Doubtful. Oh, yeah. You know, that's they, a good when point. you look at it, they're really, they, they know everybody's got this. I mean, it, it, there have been hundreds of, you know, not hundreds, I think you guys said 92 or something on the last podcast when you talked to Greg. Oh, yeah. I'm were, assuming that's over 100 now. At least, I, I given how. The, they're kind of ramping up exponentially, yep. I think. I bet it's even closer to like 120, 130 right now for draft count is what you're talking about. So, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, in the top 150, I, what I found is I had that ADP when I went and I would sit there and, and check to see and just do a plus minus column. So it, kind of like you do if you're if you're in an auction, you will sit and you have your bids and, and you know what you're what you're willing to pay. So if you project that a door is going for 17, he goes for 19, you put plus two. And as you try to factor, you're trying to track in draft inflation. If you're not using a spreadsheet or if you're not using draft software, that's one way you can go ahead and do that. But you need to really pay attention, have that ADP and look and see so if i'm drafted ninth and and see what i what what's going to be there and kind of gauge your thing because that's going to lead a lot early now the deeper you get into the draft adp kind of goes to hell you know you don't need to worry about it you don't need to be married to adp after the 15th round in my opinion go get your guys go get your skills but understand that's the part of the draft where you're going to make or break your draft. You can, a lot of people will draft well early. It's that middle part. And then sometimes at the end game, also don't forget that you don't have to take your catchers in the active part. You have 29 rounds. If you want to dollar up on your catchers because catcher sucks this year and you want to treat it like kickers, go for it. Don't have, you can, I was in one of my, the first time I was in it, God took catcher 28th to 29th round. So if you want to wait and take your catchers in the reserves, do it because I mean, obviously you know, the rule is you can't trade. Everything's going to be on free agent and you better draft your targets. You want to, you want to be in your projections in the top 20%, go find out 15 team mix league, go find out what the, what, what you need in each one of those categories to get to that point and make sure you draft it because it's really tough to count on it because free agent uh, bidding process in these leagues are ultra competitive. Guys are buying guys a week or two ahead of time. They're scouting out there. So they're really good. They're, I've seen these guys track and say, okay, who's going to be in time? Who's going to be in uh, line for some playing time? Let me go buy them. So it's really tough to go do that. If you don't know what kind of targets you need for this league, um, go check out our friends at Razball. They've got it. Every year they'll put something up, say, hey, these are the targets you need for a 15-team mixed league, 12-team mixed league, all those kinds of things. So go check out those guys and see what they have. That's great. That's great advice there. Um, one thing I would notice, uh, and I kind of tag onto that, and I kind of said it uh, while, while you were talking about Getting your guys, um, like you made that point about the the ADP, not kind of betting. If, if there's somebody that you really like and the ADP says that he's 78, but your pick is 67 and you're not going to get a chance, you know, by 70, by the time 78 bypasses, you're still going to be several picks away. Take him at 67 then. Don't be afraid. When you when you talk about with NFBC, trust ADP, trust it leaning toward jumping it as opposed to letting it go you know you got to be earlier on a guy if you really want him more than you think you can wait obviously there's going to be some guys in certain drafts that are going to fall far from the adp but a lot of times you know from what i've heard from these nfbc players they just take their guys they try not to get too hung up on it maybe around the 10th round even with the adp those first the foundational rounds it kind of marries the ADP, but then like you said, it hits that point. I think it's even sooner than the 15th round that you said, though. I think it's more like a 10th round. It just kind of falls off and everyone just says, I'm going my own way because I'm filling in my puzzle pieces the way I have to with my team. Make sure you have a plan. That's all I can say. You That's... do not want to plan at the draft table. You don't have time. I mean, I believe you've got 90, 60 to 90 seconds between picks. You don't have time to make a plan on draft day. If you know where you're drafting, you know what your targets are going to be, you know you would need to finish in the top 20%, you better start making the track those amounts. So, you know, okay, I just drafted 30 home runs and 15 stolen bases. Start subtracting that out. 
I would almost recommend not using draft software in that because it goes by too quickly to keep up with if everybody. You want to have to do it on paper and just say you know, minus this, minus this. Hopefully, you round round up, estimate. If you don't have to be like, okay, I just drafted 17 home runs, make that 20. You know, because you you're factoring in the fudge factor and what happens if a guy's projected for 17, he may hit 20, he may hit 15. So look at it, you see 17. Okay, do I believe that projection? Sure, uh, maybe he's got a little more than estimate a little bit more, but do that. Make sure you track it because if you come out, if you come out of the draft short, it's only on you, and you're going to have to try to do it in fab against everyone else. Um, so that's all I can say. Those are great tips. Good luck, Jeff. Absolutely. All right. Next question is about keeper depth. Somewhat of a general question from Matthew. He says. In leagues that are keep forevers or keep X amount of players, how do you weight star power versus keeper depth? Then he gives an example. For example, in a keep 12, if you have weak players in your last two spots, is it more beneficial to keep your 12 as is or dilute your top players a little uh, a little bit for better depth? So if you had 12 guys and the back two were kind of trash, but you just had to keep the, the allotted 12, would you maybe go out and trade one, two, three, or four, you know, in, in terms of the ranking for multiple players to thicken up your team, or do you just keep the star power and try to build around it? What do you think, Jason? I mean, hopefully you don't have to keep 12. Uh, my thing is with keepers, it's all about value. You're trying to, you're trying to protect the most roster and protect the most value that you possibly can. So you've got money to spend and you need to know, kind of play around who's going to be out there in the draft. I'll give you an example of my local league. I, uh, in the dispersal draft, I ended up with five outfielders. Now there are two utility spots in this league, but I ended up with five outfielders Uh, and the five starters. I had Braun, uh, this is NL only Braun, Peralta, Enciarte, Puig, and Marte. Really good, but I've, you know, it really limits me in the draft a little bit. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to put Ryan Braun on the block just to see what's going on. And I ended up moving him for a, uh, Gene Segura, Matt Whistler, and Derek Dietrich. I've talked about how much I like Dietrich this year, um, especially in a 12-team league where he's going to qualify to a few places. Um, Segura's shortstop is, if we talked about how deep sh- second base is, the exact opposite is the case at shortstop. And, and then Whistler's a guy I like with upside who's working on his changeup with, with Tom Glavitt and needs it because he's got issues against lefties. And if he can get that changeup down, that's going to help him in a big way there. So I, I, I wanted to make sure because we can keep 15 in that league. And I had you know the, the five outfielders I mentioned. I had a $1 Dilson Herrera, a uh, cheap Matt Harvey, John Lackey, and a Daniel Hudson. But that's it. I don't even have 15 guys. But I wanted to – my main goal was to free up an outfield spot. I didn't want to be – have because I'm looking at it and say, okay, there's going to be a lot of outfielders. So let's try to move that around. But uh, you know, getting back to the original point, you want to make sure that you're protecting value. And then if it comes down to a final spot – Try to factor out what, try to figure out what everybody else is going to keep and see what your inflation is going to be. If your inflation is going to be high and you've got a guy that, you know, is a $30 player, it's like an Adrian Gonzalez in NL only league. He got him at 30 bucks and projections have him at 25. You're like, oh, do I want to keep him? But then you look at the inflation, then he's worth 30 all of a sudden, and, but he's locked in at 32. Exactly. You and know? NL, you know, first base, uh, a lot of them could be kept. In, in this kind of format, I tried, I tried trading a $25 Braun for a $30 Gonzalez. And the guy said, no, he's like, I, you know, for that price, I'm still going to keep him because first base isn't deep in the NL. It's exactly what I expected him to say, but I still wouldn't put Got the offer. Shot, out. Yeah. Anyhow, Got to take a shot. Worst thing you do is say no, but that's the other thing I try to think of is once I've got my value locked up, then if I'm looking at a guy and maybe he's over, maybe I think he's too high, but if I look at the draft and say, okay, the, the three teams that project to have the most money need that spot, that guy's going to go for more than that. I'm going to protect him. I think that's actually uh, some really good tips there. Th- something that you mentioned out front about if you don't have to keep 12, maybe just don't keep 12. I know some leagues do force you to keep a certain amount, but I don't, I don't force it. I know sometimes in these only leagues, there's a perception that every dollar guy is valuable because he's a dollar. Hey, he's just a dollar. Okay, it doesn't mean you want to take up the spot with Tuffy Ghost Swish just because he's a one dollar catcher. First off, he's not even real, and and that's the first issue. First off, he's worth ten dollars. But that's your point. I see a lot of guys will say, "Oh, he's a one dollar player, but he's projected to earn five. There's four dollars of profit right there." BFD. You know, if I maybe if I like him as a dollar player in the draft, why don't I just take him now? But you don't know who's going to be there at the end game, Bing. especially Done. if if. 
if you fill up something, let's say you had your second base and shortstop and you had that dollar infielder who maybe has a $5 upside and all of a sudden something just kind of, I remember there's I'm trying to think of the exact player, but there was something in one of my home leagues one year where, you know, the utility, some, somebody came up and he was utility only and only one guy had a utility spot. So we oh, got him wow. for a dollar. I mean, maybe it was, it may have been David Ortiz in the year coming off his God awful year where everybody thought he was going to retire. Oh my God. You know what? But he ended up, it was like, that was the only guy somebody filled his utility spot. He's like, all right, David Ortiz. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? Um, but that was it. That's how it worked out. So he ended up getting him cheap because that's how it, nobody expected that thing to happen in the draft, but somebody else, he took an extra outfielder. So we're like, okay, you're outfield. Scrub, yeah. He wouldn't so have you had never that know spot. what's going to happen. So yeah. Only keep what you have. To, only keep what you have to. I'm, I'm not a big fan of keeping a dollar player who you think has a five dollar upside. I know I mentioned Dilson Herrera at a dollar, but this is also a keeper league, and I like Dilson Herrera's skill set. He's he's been a double double guy in the minors. I think he could do it in the major leagues if he gets playing time. If he doesn't, I get to put him to the farm anyhow. See, we have our draft after the season starts, so I can farm him down. Yeah, I'm cool with somebody like that. I'm. I'm talking like in an only league, you know, uh, it's AL, so it, we're changing back over. But like Justin Ruggiano, because he he's done some things in the past. And, you know, they might look at the homer and, and stolen base totals and be like, well, he's a buck. So I, I think he can earn five or six bucks. Okay, big deal. Don't do not keep somebody like that. And he's a bad example right now because I don't even know that people are really keeping him. But even back when he was doing things in 2013 when he had the 18 homers and uh, 15 stolen bases, which, by the way, you were a million percent out on him after that breakout year. And he did get 18 homers and 15 stolen bases, but it came with a 222 average. And he hasn't played a full season since. Uh, he, you know, The last two years, he's only totaled about 138 games. So you were on Ruggiano, by the way. But yeah, don't force it with keeping $1 guys. That's that, that's the final point there. And then the last email is about OBP slug leagues. Uh, who are some guys, this is from uh, Ewan, who are some guys at each position that you would target in OBP and slug league? That's an ambitious question to have us run down each position. So we're definitely not doing that, but I do appreciate the balls to try to get us to do that. However, <laughs> we do have some names for you, and I'll, I'll run them down, Jason, and you pick maybe two or three of your favorite. You could pick one of the high-end ones, one of the mid-tier ones, and then one of the back-end ones. Uh, but guys that get a boost in this kind of league that counts OBP and slugging percentages would be uh, Joey Votto, Jose Bautista, Matt Carpenter, both Chris Davises with a K and, and with the uh, more traditional spelling, David Peralta, Hanley Ramirez, Carlos Santana, Lucas Duda, Alex Rodriguez, Mike Napoli, and Chris Carter. Who are some guys that that you would be eyeing in an OBP slash slug league uh, to maximize your value by getting some of these guys? Who are, who are some of the ones you like? All right, so I'll do some quick positions. Uh, at catcher, one of your guys. Yes, Monty Grandel. Oh, yeah. Strong OBP, and for the slug, it's good at catcher. You know, at Love first that. base, you mentioned, you know, when you talk about – both Chris Davises, the one's going to be, you know, obviously the, the C is going to be highly drafted already, but the K is going to get overlooked. And that's something that people shouldn't be doing at first base. Carlos Santana, I, I'm, he's going to hit lead off, man. He's going to hit lead off really and he's going to, he and we're projecting a 363 OBP for him. That's going to be huge. And I think uh, he can get him. some of his power backs because he's, he's always has the OBP. He always, Carlos Santana's always, always gets boosted in OBP leagues, but I still think, you know, I thought he was going to have more power last year and, he, and the power fell back. I do think it will at least bounce back to 2014 levels, and that makes him a nice value there too, Carlos Santana. And if he's leading off, even better, obviously. Yep. We mentioned this, that we've mentioned uh, that Ben Zobris continues to be underdrafted. He's mm -hmm. well, way low. He's going to score a ton of runs in that lineup. Uh, you can still go get him. Uh, when I'm looking at Zobrist right now, he is 199. That's criminally underrated. He's going to score a ton of runs in that lineup. I like the Hanley pick for shortstop, uh, especially if he, he qualifies. He doesn't qualify there anymore, though. He's outfield, oh, he's and then he'll be All first right, sorry base. About that. Shortstop, good so, luck. Yeah. Crawford, <laughs> I mean, he slugs. He doesn't really OBP. There's not one. I don't think there's a guy who benefits from both of those being included at shortstop necessarily. It's only the right. studs that really do both of those aspects. Third base are plenty of options. Rendon's another guy that we, we just talked about that we like as a, as a bounce back uh, candidate. Plus he's going to, 
qualify a couple of positions. Yeah, I like him much better at that. When I was talking about him, I was talking about him in the context of second base, saying I would probably pass on him. Forgot about the third base eligibility. That brings me back in on him, but I don't want to slot him, Anthony Rendon, at second base because of that depth. But at third base, I totally agree with you. And then outfield-wise, we talked about him to start the show, Dexter Fowler, for every reason we talked about back then. That's another guy that's going to get a nice boost in an OBP. The slug, it'll, you know, Wrigley Field can help him out there. Uh, Puig on the bounce back here. I, Yelich, because he gets on base a ton, but understand the power's not going to be there. The slug's going to have to come from all the doubles he's going to hit did you, and the triples. Did you read the piece on Fangraphs about Yelich? Which one? Came out, no. came out last week, really talked about the fact that maybe there is some power uh, that can be tapped. Well, he's got in. power. Sullivan talked it. about it, and, and but the thing of it is, you know, we'll see if the park moving in the fence a little bit might help. The fact is that park is going to hamper him, and he does hit the ball on the ground. But in terms of the strength with which he hits the ball, Sullivan did a really good breakdown on Christian. Yeah, Kelly. well, no, you could if you watch him play. I've seen him. He hits. He hits. Makes a lot of hard contact. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a Joey Votto light in that regard. You look, he doesn't hit infield pop-ups. Nope. You know, he hits a lot of line drives, but a lot of his batted balls in the air go the other direction. That's where I think even though it's 385 out there, I know they're bringing it in a little bit, but it's still three. It was 385 last year, and he does he doesn't get a lot of loft. I've seen him tomahawk some balls down the right field line when somebody makes a mistake that he'll turn and burn on. He's got power. I just don't. He's there has to be a change in approach for him to get to 20 homers. Certainly, no, no, I totally it, agree it, with that. It's it's, a, it's the trajectory of it. Yep. That's that's where I uh, that's where I have a problem with him. But I, I keep seeing people say, "Oh, he's going to hit 20." Then we need to see a process see, change. If you start watching spring training and all of a sudden he's opening up more, but he's got more of a loft to his swing. It's not the you know pulling his hands in to go the other direction. Those kind of things. Like, okay, something's changing here. It shouldn't take us that long to pick up on a change with him, but we have to see a mechanical change for him because nothing you look at all the other pieces you try to put them together that's not a 20 home run hitter the way he looked last year no and and that that was the thing i was preaching coming into last year with christian yelich i was saying i just don't see where that power spike is coming from he went out and hit seven bombs so yeah small pat on the back for that one didn't think i was really breaking any ground though so the fact is he can still be good even if he's hitting fewer than 10 homers. He's been a 117 WRC plus each of his three years. He gives you good batting average. He gives you good speed. Uh, when he plays, he gives you good runs scored. 94 back in, in uh, 2014. Only played 126 games last year, so only had 63 runs. Plus, they weren't good. But we are falling for the Marlins again, as we do every single year. So we're hoping that some good things can happen for Christian Yelich. Uh, uh, that's another guy. He's a great in, one. Uh, he's better in the OBP league than he is in the batting average league. Uh, that's a good one. And then Adam Eaton, if he's fully healthy, that's a guy Strong. we're always going to like. Um, but not a good start right now. I think the back or something's bothering him. But I know he's not ready to full go in camp yet. So those are some guys. Perfect. I think that I think that'll wrap it up for us, Jason. I'm actually going to go ahead and uh, watch the Oscars tonight. Kind of keep that on as I'm doing writing. Want to see what Chris Rock uh, ha- has in store for us. But uh, otherwise. You and I will be back in a week. I got my Beat Paul Spore League this week. I'm sure you and I will talk about that next week. Uh, you're not traveling till the end of the week? Well, uh, yeah, I got to go to Raleigh this week, but I was going to say my audio may sound a little different because uh, if, if we can, I'd like to call in next week because I will be at the first pitch forums in Atlanta, Georgia, on Sunday from 12 to 3. So I will be driving home from Atlanta um, next Sunday after uh, next Sunday evening. So I would like to call in and record on the that, way home. That, that is a four hour drive home for me. That'll be perfect. We'll, we'll get that awesome. taken care of. I can definitely call you and call your phone from Skype. We'll get that recorded. We can talk about the first pitch form. I'm actually going to be in the Houston one. So we'll be talking about that. Both of those for sure. Perfect. Yeah. You're, you're on Saturday. I'm on Sunday. Exactly. So I'll be doing, I'll be doing, uh, we'll be doing both of those and, my draft uh, against uh, against uh, 11 other folks. We'll be talking about those two things next week. Until then, take care, Jason. See you.